You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking details of an arrest in a shocking case of road rage involving a cyclist, one that was all caught on video. The victim in this case, the driver, left with an expensive repair bill. Niju Garcha explains how it all unfolded and the charges being recommended against the cyclist. As a driver, what would you do if a cyclist lost their cool like this? you. For Steve Bengal, pulling out his phone and catching it on camera was his first instinct. His first kick to the door, that's where I was like, okay, this is going sideways. Make sure you get a face shot. Bengal says he slowed down for a cyclist who cut in front of him with apparently no warning. He honked and yelled at the man to hand signal. I could see him pedaling faster as I was going by him. And then I looked over my shoulder out this mirror. I see him trying to pass me. So I, holy cow, I burbled a bit. And so I just accelerated up. So as I'm signaling, I can still see him in my rearview mirror cycling after me. That's when he pulled out his phone. What are you doing? No, I'm going to the cops. Even though technically under the Motor Vehicle Act, you can't use your phone while you're in your vehicle there. But, um, you know, under those kind of circumstances, you know, the, the video was very helpful for us. Otherwise, we may not have uh, identified the cyclist. Bengal says that altercation took place Tuesday around 5 p.m. in this busy central Saanich intersection. The cyclist had fled the scene before police arrived, but not before approaching Bengal a second time. As I drove by him, he kicked off my driver's mirror. Now driving a courtesy car. He estimates at least $5,000 in damages to his vehicle. Dude, you're going to jail, man. You're going to jail. Maybe not, but the cyclist, a 31-year-old Central Sandwich man, has been arrested and charged with assault and mischief. He was released on a promise to appear and on conditions not to have any contact with Bengal. They didn't do anything wrong, so that's why I grabbed my phone and started recording. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Central Sandwich. It was a tragic and senseless loss that devastated the community. And today, a convicted sex offender pled guilty to the 2014 killing of 17-year-old Serena Vermeersh. Jill Bennett was in court for today's developments. And Jill, there's obvious outrage here, but adding fuel to this is that Raymond Casey was considered a high risk to reoffend, if not kill someone, when he was released. He was, Chris. When that release was made, a public warning came with it because he was deemed such a high risk to reoffend. He'd been serving a 22-year sentence for a very violent sexual assault. He served the entire sentence and was denied parole eight times. He, t- earlier today, entered a guilty plea to the charge of second-degree murder. That's the murder of Serena Vermeer, who was killed in 2014. Her body found near train tracks in the East Newton area around 146th and 66th. Avenue. At the time of her death, investigators called it a random murder and a manhunt was launched shortly after. Serena was actually last seen the evening before her body was found, a popular student at Sullivan Heights Secondary. One week after her death, Raymond Casey was arrested and charged. As I mentioned, he served a full 22-year sentence. At the time of his release, the parole board said that he was considered likely to commit an offense causing death or serious harm to another person. He was also called violent and operative opportunistic. Now, the case had many questioning why such a high-risk offender wasn't better monitored. No request at the time was made for electronic monitoring. Today, RCMP reacted to that guilty plea. 
for an individual to finally take responsibility, uh, we're grateful for that. And uh, it's also uh, um, good now that we don't have to drag the families through the court system and uh, witnesses. This affects witnesses uh, greatly when they have to go to court and describe uh, all of this all over. So this is all behind us, and uh, now we can only move forward to uh, other issues. All right, Jill, a lot of people hoping it's pretty straightforward. It's sentencing. What should we expect? Well, different from today, where the appearance was very brief, Casey stood, said he understood what he was doing. Next Thursday, when he's back here in Westminster, both the defense and the Crown will put forward their recommendations for parole eligibility. The second-degree murder charge comes with an automatic life sentence, so the judge will have to decide whether or not or how long he stays behind bars before he once again will be eligible for parole. Chris? All right, Jill Bennett in New West. Thanks, Jill. Well, there will be no appeal of a ruling that rejected the designation of high risk for Alan Schoenborn. Crown Council announcing today it will not file an appeal of the August decision by the B.C. Supreme Court. Schoenborn was found not criminally responsible for the deaths of his three children in Merritt back in 2008. A high-risk accused designation would have denied Schoenborn any outings from Colony Farm Forensic Psychiatric Hospital for at least three years. The children's mother, Darcy Clark, issuing this statement, which reads, We are preparing to block Alan's request for additional freedoms at his upcoming BC Review Board hearing November 10th. That is where we are focusing our energies, not on what we can't do, but on what we can do. Pot is high on the agenda as justice ministers from across the country meet with the federal justice minister in Vancouver. Ottawa is planning to legalize marijuana by next summer. But there are some serious questions tonight about that timeline. Ramina Dea has more on what's prompting the pushback. For marijuana smokers across Canada, legalization can't come soon enough. But many provinces are simply not ready for the target date of summer 2018. It's certainly a challenging deadline, not just for British Columbia, but for all provinces. And I think uh, that both ministers and premiers have been saying that to the federal government. Concerns the provinces are hoping the federal justice and public safety ministers can provide clarity on as they meet in Vancouver for two days. Trudeau standing firm on his plan to legalize pot in 10 months. The federal government says the July 1st deadline is reasonable and it can be met. The time frame is, uh, uh, is a solid one. Uh, there's, there's time there to move forward. But Canada's police chiefs are pleading with the feds for more time, saying there are roughly 600 drug recognition experts nationwide, a number they need to triple. You know, we need time to get some of our, more of our members trained as drug recognition experts uh, to get the equipment uh, that we require to, uh, to test drivers on the roads. South of the border in Colorado, police have been dealing with the aftermath of legalization since 2012. The state saw its highest number of crash fatalities in 12 years, 608 deaths, 125 marijuana-related. We hear impaired driving won't go up. I'm here to tell you right now it will. And we've seen the carnage on our highways from it. Another monster issue for the provinces the tax rate. If it's set too high, there are concerns it will further fuel the black market, which already pulls in $7 billion a year in pot profits. Romina Dea, Global News.
Police are appealing for information that may lead them to a suspect in an assault at a Surrey park. It happened just after six last night. RCMP say a woman was walking her dogs on a trail in Buckley Park when she says a man attempted to assault her. The victim says she fought the man off and he was last seen leaving the area on foot. We're looking for anybody that was in the area between, say, 5.30 and 6 o'clock that may have seen that individual or have seen them on a regular basis and can help us uh, direct us to where he is. The suspect is described as Caucasian in his late teens, 5 feet 8 inches tall with a skinny build and chin length, shaggy dark brown hair. He was seen wearing a black hoodie and black track pants with a white stripe down the leg. And Vancouver police need your help locating a car involved in a hit and run on the Granville Street Bridge. It happened back on August 6th, around 2 in the morning after the fireworks that night. BPD say a 22-year-old man was walking in traffic when he was hit by a vehicle driving southbound in the far left lane of the bridge. The man was rushed to hospital with serious injuries. He has since been released and continues his rehabilitation. Well, based on evidence collected at the scene... Police say, or police believe, the vehicle involved is an early 90s Toyota Camry, similar to the one pictured here, but not necessarily the same color. It's believed the front driver's side headlight was damaged in the crash. If you have any information, you're asked to contact Vancouver Police. TransLink reversing an earlier decision to cut service at a bus stop on the downtown east side. The decision was originally made citing safety concerns. Nadia Stewart joins us with more on why it's being restored. Nadia. Yeah, there was actually a meeting here at this bus stop just a day ago, and that's when advocates say they were told the community would be getting its bus stop back. When he was called to a meeting at this bus stop, Randy Barnetson didn't know what to expect. After we had finished talking with him and sharing how we felt about it, then they announced to us that they had heard from their higher-ups that the bus stop would be restored first thing the next morning. For Joel Preddy, who relies on this service, it could never turn soon enough. It's my food bank, it's my appointments, it's, um, it's my main transportation going anywhere east. And it's uphill. I was really disappointed when they took it away, but I kind of understood why. Safety concerns were being raised by bus drivers and passengers. When construction began on a building across the street, the stop was moved here. The space already congested, though, by an open-air market. The same problems persist, but TransLink says it wants to try again to address them. We've brought in some extra resources. We've enlisted the VPD with help clearing the bus lane as well. We're having transit security make extra rounds there to make sure the bus lane is clear and sort of address the safety concerns bus drivers had. There is a visible transit police presence now. More crews keeping the area clean. Upwards of 700 people rely on this stop every day. Thank you guys, you know. I'm an appreciated person. I need that stop every day. Advocates say they too are thankful their voices were heard. Adding the stop should never have been shut down. Had they consulted us ahead of time, we all probably could have put our heads together and come up with some solutions. For now, TransLink says that it will continue to monitor this bus stop, but it won't put a timeline, one month, six months, on how long it'll take before it makes any decisions if needed. Back to you. Nadia Stewart for us tonight. Well, there might be a shortage of affordable housing, but a group of developers are betting there's plenty of money to provide accommodation for supercars, a garage for millionaires, and where they want to build it in just over a minute.
He fell asleep at the wheel and slammed into a guardrail, but survived with fairly minor injuries. The lucky twist of fate that saved his life later on the news hour. And a pop star's secret struggle. Selena Gomez surprising fans by revealing why she spent the summer out of the spotlight. Yet another sign of the growing ranks of the super rich in Metro Vancouver. A new development in Richmond that will provide the ultimate in luxury accommodation. Not for people, as Jennifer Palma tells us tonight, but for their supercars. This plain parcel of land will soon transform into a unique use facility called Trove by Hungerford Properties. On their website, you can see what could become a supercar condo where drivers and their luxury vehicles can hang out together in their own customized garage. It's almost a recreational property. They might not have a place in Whistler, but they've got a kind of a cool place where they can show off their, their cars and their toys to their friends. Taking special care of your car isn't a new concept in the Lower Mainland. Take this Vancouver building with a $14 million parking system. Or this high-rise in Singapore with a car elevator. The Richmond storage facility is already 64% sold. It's a luxury type of item that I definitely obviously can't afford to <laughs> afford it. I don't have a $3 million car, uh, but I would put it in there if I had one. <laughs> hey, with everything going on with the real estate market and everything, if someone afford it, why not? Yeah. But some think this type of facility is over the top, especially in a market where the median income is in the 70,000s and where owning a home can be out of reach. This is a city that isn't for people who want to work and live and contribute to the community to, to live in anymore. Um, we really are turning into a playground for international elite, for a lot of very wealthy people. Luxury vehicle sales are on the rise, as are the budgets of car owners. It's an investment they want to protect. It's certainly not for everyone, but for someone maybe looking at a car like this LFA behind me that's a half a million dollars, uh, it's not a car you want to leave just, you know, where anyone can get around it. The base price for a unit at Trove is $600,000. That can climb depending on the features and upgrades you'd like to add. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, certainly a nice evening to be cruising around in one of those cars before it's time to put them away for the season. Meteorologist Christy Gordon down at Bard on the beach tonight. We'll have uh, more on Bard a little mm -hmm. bit later. But first, Christy, you have details on what kind of winter we, we could be in for. That's right. So, so skiers will certainly be happy about this news, but many people won't. The Climate Prediction Center just issued a statement this afternoon saying we are officially on La Nina watch. We have a 55 to 60 percent chance of La Nina again this winter. Now, 60% doesn't seem like much, but actually September forecasts for the winter are pretty accurate. Now, La Nina winters typically for our region mean slightly cooler and wetter conditions than normal, as we well know from last year. And that means good snow for the uh, mountains, but it also means snow for lower elevations, most likely. And we certainly experienced that last year. Now, we're still months out, and there's a chance that this forecast could change, but I would recommend everyone start to think a little bit about snow tires before it's too late, Soph. And salt. Stock up on the yeah. salt. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Good advice. All right, the dirty secret in the sewer. It's about a $2 million problem for Metro Vancouver. After London discovered a fat blob in its pipes, there's reason to be worried about our sewer system, too. And devastated island, indomitable spirit. Survivors on Tortola picking up the pieces after Irma later on the news hour. 
If you want to do the grouse grind, you'll have to get an earlier start. Starting today with earlier sunsets, the gates will now be closing at 6 p.m. The opening time of 6.15 a.m. stays the same for now. Looks like we missed it tonight. That is too bad. Too bad, right? (laughs) Okay, they're calling it a fatberg, and by any definition, it's pretty disgusting. Crews in London are working in the city's sewer system to break up a huge mass of oil, diapers, and other unsavory garbage. It's all material that is wrongly flushed down the drain, a problem Metro Vancouver is constantly fighting as well. Linda Aylesworth reports. Fat is flavor. It's also messy. But if you think a good fry-up leaves your kitchen in a state, you should see what it does to our sewers. So our mission today is to clean the wet well, um, basically a holding tank for all the sewer, and uh, get all the grease and all the, uh, all the debris out of there. Everyday Metro Vancouver maintenance workers have the unenviable task of preventing grease from building up into something like this, a fatberg. In London, they recently had to contend with a massive one that weighed 15 tons. It's about a $2 million problem for Metro Vancouver, and then there's cost to every member municipality. So it's a big number that we have to pay each year to clean out our sewers. When cooking grease, butter, or any kind of fat is poured down the drain, it combines with calcium in the sewer and becomes a soap-like substance attracting even more fat and other solids. And they harden, they stick to surfaces, and over time, like the one in London, they become like concrete. The people I talk to, they say, I didn't know we could put it in our green bin. You can just wipe it up. If you fry some bacon, wipe it up with a paper towel and put that in your green bin. It's great. What's not great is that at hot spots like this pumping station in Horseshoe Bay, crews have to do preventative maintenance twice a week. We're basically getting all the, uh, the grease off the walls and uh, breaking it down and sending it through the system. The message is this, is that we don't want any fats, oil or greases going into our drains. You can put it in your green waste. If you have a lot of oil, we want you to take that to the local uh, Metro Vancouver transfer station where we can manage it much better and we can keep our drains clean and save us some money. People remember what we call the three P's, which are pee, poo and toilet paper. That is what your system is designed to take. When we fail to heed the warnings, we all pay for the consequences, sometimes in a very big way. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Those guys deserve a raise going down in that hole. All right, more controversy swirling around Google tonight. Former employees have filed lawsuits accusing the Internet giant of paying women less than men and denying them promotions. Tonight, Google is facing a major lawsuit on behalf of all women who have worked at the tech giant over the last four years. Three former employees, Kelly Ellis, Holly Pease, and Kelly Wazuri, say Google discriminates against women by systematically paying them less than men and denying them promotions. They're seeking a class action lawsuit saying Google's failure to pay female employees the same for substantially similar work has been and is willful. These women... Uh, are taking a risk uh, about their careers, and I think they are showing great courage, but they are doing this because they feel that there's a wrong that needs to be righted. In an email to NBC News, Google denied the claim, saying, we disagree with the central allegations. We have extensive systems in place to ensure that we pay fairly. If we ever see individual discrepancies or problems, we work to fix them. Google's workforce is made up of 69% men and 31% women. Earlier this year, the Labor Department sued Google, also alleging compensation data revealed systemic compensation disparities against women across the workforce. Google has also denied those allegations. 
The ballooning controversy comes just weeks after Google fired engineer James Damore for writing an internal memo claiming women and men differ in their abilities because of biological causes. This lawsuit has the potential to impact the way that Google is able to hire in the future, and that is a big deal. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. A pop superstar gets a new lease on life. Selena Gomez comes through a kidney transplant with her best friend at her bedside. And a car impaled on a guardrail. How the driver barely escaped with his life. Popular beaches near the Greek capital of Athens spoiled by a foul-smelling mess after the sinking of a tanker. The ship was carrying 2,500 tons of fuel oil and marine gas when it went down in mild weather. Local officials are being accused of underestimating the risk to the environment and not acting quickly enough to control the spill. Just days after the United Nations approved new sanctions against North Korea for its nuclear testing, the rogue nation appears to have launched yet another missile. South Korea's military says a missile was fired from the North Korean capital of Pyongyang and flew over Japan before landing in the Pacific Ocean. It was the second aggressive test firing in less than a month, and it follows the powerful nuclear test by North Korea on September 3rd. In the wake of Hurricane Irma, a desperate struggle in the Caribbean on the island of Tortola, the largest of the British Virgin Islands. The first civilian flight took off today, more than a week after the tropical paradise suffered a direct hit. Driving from the airport into the center of Tortola, the images are heartbreaking. Homes destroyed, boats tossed. Here we are at this marina. It's not just that boats are turned over. Many of these boats were on moorings out there in the water, ended up pulled all the way onto land. Near the coastline, we meet Nolan Davis, who says he barely survived the storm. The hurricane was taking the house apart. Now his family is helping him start to pick up the pieces. You lose your bed, you lose all your belongings, but... We gotta go on. More than a week after Irma slammed these islands, the necessities, food, water, power, are still scarce. Gas stations damaged and abandoned. Cell phone service is mostly out. We came here with Digicel. Their urgent mission is to repair cell phone towers here. The islands um, have been devastated, um, but our job is to try and get the territory back up and running as quickly as possible. Any two persons want to go to the U.S.? Today, the rush to get out as people scramble to get on the first relief flight off the island. But for those still here, what's critical, how long the island's recovery will take and how quickly they can get tourists back to what was once a paradise. Stephanie Rule, NBC News, Tortola, British Virgin Islands. One, two, three. And here's a happy ending today to a survival story from Hurricane Harvey. An injured hawk that took shelter in William Brusco's taxi cab before the hurricane hit was released back into the wild. She was named Harvey the Hurricane Hawk. Before it was discovered, Harvey was actually a she. She spent two weeks in rehab before today's release. A survival story out of Pennsylvania you have to see to believe. This is what happened to Seth Yoder's car when he fell asleep on the way home from work and ran head-on into a guardrail. As the metal rail headed straight for the driver, the engine block flattened it out. The other reason Yoder is still alive? He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So because he was up in the air and off the seat, 
that guardrail slid directly underneath him and he landed on top of the guardrail. By all reasonable, rational accounts, this gentleman should not still be alive. Why are you still here? Not too sure. Maybe someone watching over me. Hopefully, someone watching over me. Yoder has suffered nothing more than cuts and bruises, and he says next time he'll pull over and sleep. The beleaguered former White House press secretary made his late-night debut last night. Sean Spicer, the featured guest on Jimmy Kimmel. So when the president would tweet, did you have an alert on your phone? Yes. Did he... <laughs> did he ever run a tweet by you before tweeting it? Uh, I don't believe... <laughs> Maybe once or twice. Among other things, Spicer admitted he may not have started out on the right foot with the White House press corps when he angrily insisted Trump's inauguration crowd was the largest ever. It was Spicer's first television appearance since resigning in July. A happy ending to a story that touched a lot of hearts earlier this week. Daisy, the blind goat that was stolen from a farm animal rescue society in Alberta, is back at home. The farm posting, Welcome Home Daisy, on its Facebook page. A neighbor found her last night by the side of the road, not far from the farm. They believe someone dropped her there in an attempt to get her back home. In Health Matters tonight, Vancouver Coastal Health is warning about a new outbreak of mumps. Thirteen new cases were reported in Metro Vancouver last month, bringing the total for the year to 80. That's well above the average of 32 cases per year. Officials say there's a vulnerable group of young adults born between 1970 and 1995 who received only one dose of the mumps vaccine. They're advising people between the ages of 23 and 47 to make sure they're fully immunized. When mumps vaccination started in 1970, we thought that's all you needed. We now know that you need two doses of vaccine for full lifetime protection, and, and it is now part of routine childhood vaccinations. But because these young adults um, were already past their school and childhood vaccinations by the time that program was initiated, they didn't necessarily have an opportunity to get that second dose. A new UBC study says feeling like everyone has more friends than you do can affect your well-being. The survey of more than 1,000 students found that 48% of them believe other students have more close friends than they do, while just 31% believe they have more friends. A second survey found that those students who believe their peers have more friends report lower levels of well-being. The researchers say even the beliefs that we have about our peers' social networks have an impact on our happiness. A surprising announcement today from one of the biggest stars in music, Selena Gomez, revealing that she's had a kidney transplant, somehow managing to keep that a secret until now. NBC's Ann Thompson on what led to her life-saving surgery. Selena Gomez appears to lead a charmed red carpet life, going from Barney and Friends to Disney Channel stardom, then the top of Billboard's charts. Now the pop star sharing dramatic health news on Instagram. I needed to get a kidney transplant due to my lupus. Posting a hospital photo with donor and best friend actress Francia Risa, writing she gave me the ultimate gift and sacrifice by donating her kidney to me. The 25-year-old Gomez is one of 1.5 million Americans with lupus. 
called the great imitator because its symptoms mimic other diseases with extreme fatigue, headaches, painful or swollen joints and fever. All signs of the autoimmune disease that attacks the body's organs. When lupus attacks your kidney, it starts to kill your kidney cells and ultimately your entire kidney will stop working. Lupus primarily strikes women of childbearing age and is two to three times more prevalent in women of color, African-Americans, Hispanics and Asians. Dr. Salmon says Gomez's kidney transplant indicates she suffers from a severe form of lupus, but the anti-rejection drugs that protect her new kidney should keep the disease at bay. Can you live with lupus? You can live with lupus. You can have kids with lupus. You can be happy with lupus. Salmon hopes Gomez's fame raises awareness of a misunderstood disease and encourages women of color to participate in research that will make life with lupus easier for those on and off the red carpet. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. Amazing. Wish a full recovery for her. Now the brown paper bag, elevated to art form. They're always unique. There's never the same one twice. A dad's remarkable talent to make his daughter's lunches a little more interesting. Also tonight, wildfire babies. The story behind this photo of all the newborns with one special connection. A masterful performance with a new maestro on the program, mixing classical music and cutting-edge technology right after Christie's forecast. Pretty impressive. Whenever Andrea Bocelli is involved, <laughs> that sure looked like him. Uh, okay, is the weather forecast much ado about nothing? Let's find out from Christy, who's down at Bard <laughs> on the Beach tonight. Hi, Christy. <laughs> Hi, you too. Well, it certainly is. You know, this has been a fantastic year for Bart on the Beach in terms of weather. It's always a great year down here, but this year in particular, you can see how spectacular the scene is in behind me. Uh, and that's always creates the most majestic backdrop for these plays. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but first, it was a beautiful day. Temperature-wise, we actually hit 27 degrees in Langley. Now, when we look at the current temperatures, things have cooled off. These are your current ones. We typically get our hottest conditions between about 2 and 4 p.m. in the afternoons now that the sun is setting a little earlier, but 24 still out in the Fraser Valley. Checking out the Remax satellite, we don't have a lot going on. A little bit of cloud in that southeastern corner. Unfortunately, some gusty conditions there as well where we are still dealing with majority of the fires, the fires of note at this time, and we are hoping for a bit of a change, which we will see towards the end of the weekend. That's when we'll see the first big fall storm of the season, but in the meantime, lots of sunshine for the next couple of days. This is your tomorrow. Beautiful sunshine across the north, 19 degrees. And then as we head towards the south, we will see continue with that sunshine. Some cloud cover towards the east, but otherwise fantastic conditions. Highs between 20 and 23 degrees, 24 and hope tomorrow. And we could see about 24, 25 degrees inland or away from the water across Metro Vancouver. Sensational conditions right through our Saturday, although we'll see a little bit more cloud. But then on Sunday. That's what we're talking about. A chance of showers in the morning changing to steady rain with wind in the afternoon. And the key thing I want to point out here is the temperatures are only a high of 16 degrees. A quick happy birthday to Beatrice Nana Saka. She's celebrating uh, 103 years in Aldergrove. Congratulations to you. I want to introduce you to someone. He's the founding artistic director of Bart on the Beach here. He's Christopher Gaze. I'm sure you all know him already. Thanks so much for joining me here. It has been a fantastic year, but of course we're nearing the end of it just in the last two weeks here it must be a little bittersweet for you 
Yes, another fantastic season, our 28th season, and on this stage, Much Ado and Winter's Tale play through till Saturday week, uh, the 23rd, and, of course, uh, Merchant and Two Gents on the Howard family stage in the Douglas Gamble Theatre. And now we look at season 29. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you can... We've just announced it, and we're going to do a, a, a Beatles-infused As You Like It in this theatre, 1960s production, Kitsilano. So it, oh. it, it, it should be uh, absolutely marvellous, with about 20 Beatles songs in it. Oh, fantastic. I mean, a lot of people, elder, older people, not necessarily, uh, you know what I mean, they will enjoy that type of music. I am really digging myself a hole here. But Oh, definitely. And then with that, a wonderful traditional production of the Scottish play, or Maccas, or Mac. I can't say it because we're in a theatre. Yeah, the powerhouse play, really. That's right. And then in, uh, in, the, on the, in the Campbell Theatre, we're going to do Timon of Athens and a Greek play, uh, uh, Lysistrata. So it's all pretty fantastic. So that's the 29th year coming up. It will be an exciting year, and that's again, starts in June, right? It'll start at the beginning of June next year. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us here. Pleasure. All right, you two, we'll throw it back to you on this spectacular night in Vanier Park. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Christy. We'll talk to you again a little bit later on. We should get Christopher Gaze to read the news. Yeah, I, I could listen to him recite the phone book all day long. Yeah. And he would have our attention the whole time. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Yet another example of how we will all be replaced by robots someday. And we're only half joking. A performance in Italy by the Luca Philharmonic Orchestra and renowned tenor Andrea Bocelli with the orchestra conducted by Yumi, a robot designed by a Swiss firm. The human conductor of the orchestra essentially had to teach Yumi how to direct by holding its arms in rehearsals so the computer could memorize those movements. One downside though, Yumi can't improvise and any change in tempo from the musicians would have been disastrous. So the maestro's job is safe for safe. now. Good, good. A photo shoot for the history books in the B.C. interior. No fewer than 31 babies who were all born amidst the evacuations and chaos of the B.C. wildfires this summer. The mother of one of the so-called fire babies organized the picture using the power of social media to track down others like her. Williams Lake photographer Lorraine Carruthers volunteered her studio and her time and says she was shocked by how well it all went. Only one grumpy baby for the entire shoot. <laughs> that will remain anonymous and not be singled out on this program anyway. I noticed some of them look like they're sleeping on the other one's shoulder. Yeah, I think. Leaning. To, some, to, some can sit up better than others. Well, to get them all lined up like that, I'm sure it took some time. They may have fallen asleep. Uh, excitement building for the upcoming hockey season? Well, there's always optimism at this time of year. You're undefeated. <laughs> I'm not sure what the coaches think. But Brock Besser thinks he's ready for prime time. You know, I like to set the, the bar high for me personally, so uh, that's just kind of how I am. Yeah, take a good look, boys. A real good look. Because this kid is part of your future. And lunch bag masterpieces. How one dad made his daughter the star of her own cartoon. Great show, uh, great showing by the Whitecaps last night. And your man. My your man. man Sideshow Bob. <laughs> Jordy Reyna. I love that guy. That's four goals, all of them game winners. 
The uh, Whitecaps are first place now, first in the West. Back in April, they were 10th in the West, and they have games in hand on the teams behind them, and they're home Saturday again against Columbus. And even though soccer is a team game, and the Whitecaps were all in for that 3-0 win over Minnesota last night, what would this team have been like at the start of the season if Jordy Reyna was healthy? Since coming back from a preseason injury, Reyna has been their most productive player. Certainly their good luck charm, because when he has started so far this year, they haven't lost. I know. Yeah, no, he was, he was good for 60-odd minutes. He really was, and you know, he scores goals, which helps. You know, you, if you're going to be an attacking player, you need to either score or create. And, you know, he does things which he shouldn't do in the wrong areas of the field. And, but he does exciting things in the top third of the pitch. And obviously it's a wonderful ball by Mars. It's a great touch and it's a great finish by a quality player. Well, just when you thought the Canucks would go younger, they brought in more veterans this summer. They really want to make a playoff push. But these veterans are kind of like the Patella Bridge. They might get you somewhere, but not for long. The future is in players like Brock Besser. And quite frankly, the way he played after joining the Canucks late last season from college, I really don't want to see him start the year in Utica. Horvath in, Beach and Glossy Besser scores! Brock Besser on the rebound, his first career goal. Brock Besser made quite an impression in his Canucks debut late last season. He scored in his very first game and immediately announced he was ready for prime time. In nine games, Besser had four goals, an assist, and a greater understanding what it takes to play in the NHL. I think it's the experience side of things. Uh, just learning from all the NHL guys, uh, Bo, Hank, Danny, uh, just what it takes to be an NHLer and you know, how hard they work. So uh, just having that mindset throughout summer has definitely helped me a lot. You soak everything in. I mean, I think he, he's a good guy to do that. He's always asking questions, always... You know, talking to me, what he, what he thinks like he can do better, and you know, to see a young guy do that, it just speaks to his maturity and, and how much he wants to get better, how much he wants to make the team. And watch Besser. It's not a stretch to say Besser already has the best hands on the Canucks. He's maybe the only guy in the team who could score a goal like this, and for a team begging for scoring, he would seem to be a lock to make the final cut. He's the dynamic type of player this franchise desperately needs. But maybe by design, Travis Green is keeping it low-key. Uh, it's really early right now to make a judgment on anything. Uh, we'll see a lot more in the games. But, uh, you know, he comes with a lot of expectations, and we'll take it day by day. Like it or not, the hype is there. Besser has already been mentioned as a Calder Trophy candidate for Rookie of the Year. Uh, you know, I definitely have a kind of high confidence in myself, and... You know, I like to set the, the bar high for me personally, so uh, that's just kind of how I am. When you got a guy that has a quick release like that and a, a quick shot and, and, you know, that finds the open areas to, sc- like, to score goals, you got to give it to him. I mean, that, hopefully that's my job for, for this season is trying to get him the puck. Very delayed global sports. Hey, let's give a big shout-out to uh, G. Roy Simon tonight. It's been a tough, bittersweet year for G. Roy. He lost his wife during the spring, but tonight he is officially going in the CFL Hall of Fame, one of the greatest receivers the CFL ever saw, and the bulk of his glory years, a dozen to be exact, were spent with the BC Lions, whom, of course, he now works for. Well, there is a lot of worry and consternation down the road in Seattle about the Seahawks' offensive line. It's not exactly the wall that protects the Seven Kingdoms. In fact, it's a bit flimsy. 
And with Seattle not really having much of a running game, Russell Wilson is in constant danger. We saw that last week in the opener against Green Bay. A close game, yes, but the Hawks might have won it had their line been better. But, of course, Russell Wilson believes in his bodyguards despite what we saw. Very good defense. I think our line had a great preseason all, 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 all offseason, all preseason. So we have the guys, like I said, and we have full confidence in them. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, and sometimes uh, you know, you don't do everything perfect. We just need to be a little bit better. And uh, that, that's kind of our mentality. Jason Day surprised everybody by switching caddies. His old roommate Luke Reardon's now on the bag. Well, it seems to be helping. This is at the BMW today, round one. Great approach here to set up an eagle. Jason Day is tied for second at seven under par. The leader, Mark Leishman. Fellow Aussie. This is the perfect putt. Just enough rolls. They say it should die at the hole. That dies at the hole. Adam Hadwin even. Jordan Spieth minus six, Justin Thomas minus four, Mackenzie Hughes minus four after one round. There you go. All right. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Let's check in with Andrea now for a look ahead to NewsHour final tonight, Global News at 11. Thanks, Chris. Search crews are trying to determine what happened to a well-known filmmaker and environmental activist. Twyla Roscovich has not been heard from since September 6. Her vehicle was found yesterday in Campbell River near the Quadra Island Ferry. The young mother environmentalist is known for her advocacy work. We have a crew in the area and will bring you the very latest. And if you're headed to the Chris Rock Show tonight, better leave your cell phone at home or it will be locked up. We'll explain when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Pretty cool tech. Thanks, Ann. Up next, a man who might have the Father of the Year award in the bag. He wrote that. Coming up on ET Canada, I'm in New York, where Jennifer Lawrence and I bond over candy. Pleasant at Benning and Jamie Bell's love affair at TIFF. And we've already met 10, so let's meet the other 10 women competing on The Bachelor Canada. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks, Sangeeta. Well, now that school is back in session and it's back to routine, lots of parents are finding themselves packing their children's lunches. But we're going to tell you about one dad who goes above and beyond, turning his daughter's lunches into a work of art. While some kids have been known to complain about brown bag school lunches for high school junior Maggie Jenkins. Let's see what the lunch bag is today. Ooh, it's it's an event. Oh, it's so cute. Every day, her turkey sandwiches come wrapped in a handmade, one-of-a-kind work of art. They're always unique. There's never the same one twice. That's because Maggie's dad, Mike, is a political cartoonist turned caricature artist. When the older two went off to college, and our youngest, Maggie, she had such an imagination. So he started drawing. The bag's such a hit, he couldn't stop. Now he spends about four hours a day crafting the next day's masterpiece. This is a steam locomotive, and the cab is a lunch bag. Each is elaborate. Mike doesn't miss a thing. The clutter even is the same clutter that was on my nightstand. Memorializing holidays homework, and of course, Friday freedom. Over 600 lunches. Here you are. Do you ever think about how much work goes into all of this? All the time. I mean, it just blows my mind, like, how many hours have gone in to making these lunch bags. The two know they have a time limit. Mike probably won't be sending lunches to college. In an ideal world, it would be nice, but of course, I'm not going to ask him to do that. But the bond they have is unlikely to fade. I'll always be able to look back 
and I'll always be able to have these times when my dad put aside his time and put in so much hard work. And if you ask Maggie, there's no question. Her dad's got father of the year in the bag. Have a good day. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, Arlington, Virginia. Wow. That <laughs> should sell those. It's amazing. Yeah. It's got 600 of them. Yeah. Probably make a pretty penny. Curious as to what was in the lunches, but. Well, we, yeah, they never mentioned that. <laughs> no, that I a hope turkey sandwich or something. The, turkey yeah. or chicken, yeah, Every sandwich, day. yeah. Okay. Some sort of bird sandwich. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's head back down to Bart on the Beach. Christy Gordon, uh, set to watch the play or act in the play, sure, whatever. <laughs> I'd like to say it's not too long till curtains open, but here at Bard on the Beach, the curtains are always open with this spectacular backdrop. Uh, much Ado About Nothing starts at 7.30 tonight. A thousand people will enter this theater. It's a much larger theater this year, and it will be a spectacular night.